So, um, yeah, let, let me just pray real quick. Lord Jesus, we just, uh, we just want to hear from you today. Lord God, uh, I pray whatever I say today uh, would be of you. Anything that's not of you would just fall to the side. Lord, we just um, we want you to speak to us, Lord God. We want to leave here different today, and uh, we want our lives to be changed uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, I think, um, I think I would argue that it's impossible to live a Christian life without, uh, without each other. It's impossible to live a Christian life without each other. You know, God is miraculous. He does things in our hearts. He, he, when we get saved, he, he, he comes and transforms us. But then one big way that he transforms us is, is through each other, right? So Hebrews 10, uh, 23 to 25 says this, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and for good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of the Lord is, is drawing near. You know, verse, uh, verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. You know, I think that's the goal of the Christian life, you know? Let us, let us, hold, let us hold true, let us hold fast to the hope that we have in Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews here is saying, guys, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope in Jesus. Remember why Jesus came. Remember what he did on the cross. Remember why he died. Don't lose hope because he's faithful. He's faithful. He's, his promises are faithful. He's a faithful God. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope in why Jesus came. And yes, Yes, it's this personal salvation. Yes, it's this thing that takes place and this transaction that takes place in our hearts. And, and, but it's not just a ticket to heaven. It's not just a ticket to heaven. Jesus came for so much more than just a ticket to heaven. And, you know, in the case of the Hebrews, um, the, the writers here saying, you know, this, this is so important because the Christians at the time, they were getting persecuted. They were being persecuted. And so the writers actually saying, you know what? Hold fast, hold true to the hope that you have even through these difficult times, even through your persecution, don't lose hope. Don't lose the faith. And remember, this is just, you know, this is, this is just a little while after Jesus uh, was around. This is just a little while after, and the, and the church is exploding, but they are being persecuted. A lot of those Jewish Christians were getting ready to give up the struggle. Their struggle was too great, and they were thinking about reverting back. And the writer's saying, don't give up. You know, you've got to remember that, that, that prior to Jesus coming, people couldn't experience the presence of God. That was reserved for the high priest one day a year behind the curtain. They couldn't, they couldn't do that. And then all of a sudden, everything changes through Jesus. Everything changes. So it's this whole new way of being. Now we can experience the presence of God. Now, we can, now, now the Spirit of God lives in us. You know, we just worshiped before, and, and I don't know about you, but man, I, I felt the presence of God during worship, you know, and, and we can take that for granted, you know, we can, we can take that for granted that, that Jesus, the, the presence of God was in this room while we were worshiping. Yes, the Spirit of God lives in each and every one of us, but also the presence of God loves to manifest himself in, a, in an environment like this, where we sing praises to him, where the, where the church, where the family of God gather, and that was such a new way of being for the Jewish people. That was such a new way for the early church. You know, verse 1 and 2 of, uh, of, of Hebrews says this, Worship did not perfect the worshiper. It didn't transform them. It didn't transform them. 
So they were still practicing some of these, these old ways of being. You know, and we, and we read Paul, in, uh, we read Paul uh, in Galatians talking to the Galatian church and saying, guys, you don't need to jump through these hoops. You know, like Jesus is enough. His grace is enough. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to eat certain meat. You don't have to adhere to these, these practices. Jesus is enough. And yet some of these guys as well, they were still adhering to some of the Jewish practices and wondering why their lives weren't being transformed, wondering why there was no power in that, wondering why that they were, they were still hung up on some of these things. Verse 10 says, uh, he wanted us to be made holy through the work of Jesus on the cross. Through the work of Jesus on the cross. Through his blood, Jesus, through his blood and Christ. Through the blood of Jesus, you can come right into the presence of God. You see, Jesus became the new high priest. No longer did they need to go uh, to, the, to, the, to the high priest, and no longer did the high priest need to go behind the curtain. Jesus became the new high priest, and we have access to that presence and that power. You know, like I mentioned before, um, we have access to the presence of, power of, of God through Jesus. But do you know one of the big ways, one of the main ways that God loves to bring his, his presence, his power, and change to us in our lives how we actually develop as followers of Jesus, how we actually get transformed, how we actually have sanctification, the process of becoming like Jesus, how that actually outworks itself. Any ideas? This is the only time you're allowed to heckle me. Any ideas? Community, yeah, through each other. Through each other. That's why God established the church. We were made for each other. Our faith was made to be outworked in relationship. C.S. Lewis says this, Christ works on us in all sorts of ways. But above all else, he works on us through each other. We are carriers of Christ to each other. Let me read that again and just, and just let that sink in because this, kind of, this is kind of the framework, the premise of what we're talking about today. Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all else, he works on us through each other. We are carriers of Christ to each other. Powerful, eh? That's supposed to change us Monday to Saturday. If we are carriers of Christ to each other, that's supposed to, that's supposed to land somewhere. That's supposed to look different for us the minute we wake up tomorrow morning. Because if we're just relying on the Holy Spirit to go and do his work, if we're just relying on, on, on God just to show up and look, I, again, like the testimony just happened then. I believe in miracles and I believe in God doing just sovereign things, totally, 100%. But one of the main ways God has always moved and one of the main ways he'll always continue to move is through us, through one another. John Wesley says this, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Meaning our faith was never supposed to be just us and Jesus. Our faith was never just supposed to be us in, in our little prayer closet, little Jimmy Jesus on his own, just kind of like, you know, not wanting to be permeated by the world. And, you know, no. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion, John Wesley said. And you know, just like the, just like the Jewish uh, early church was, was experiencing difficulties and, and persecution and troubles, you know, we can as well. You know, being a, you know, like you've heard it plenty of times, you know, becoming a follower of Jesus doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, take away the troubles of this world. It doesn't. It just doesn't. And, and life can happen. Stuff can happen. And these early Jewish Christians, they knew what it was like to be discouraged. And they were on the brink of giving up. And so the writer's here encouraging them, saying, guys, don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't lose your faith. And again, I believe the Lord will be saying that this morning as well to some of you. Guys, don't lose hope. 
Don't lose hope. Don't be discouraged. Don't let your discouragement drive you away from Jesus. Let your discouragement drive you towards him. Let us be a people that would take our discouragement and our disappointments to him. You know, last year, uh, on the 1st of December, I, um, I uh, was eating pancakes with my, my kids, and uh, all of a sudden, my, my tongue started to go a little bit numb. And uh, I said to my wife and kids, I said, is anyone else's tongue going numb? Funny story is, one of my kids said, uh, actually, I think mine is as well, you know. Um, well, <laughs> it couldn't have been, because uh, what, was I, what I was actually uh, suffering from at the very time was uh, Bell's palsy. I was coming down with Bell's palsy. It all happened in about half an hour. I felt like I was having a stroke, actually. Uh, my tongue started to go numb. My, my eye started to not close. The, the side of my face started to droop. Uh, and within about half an hour, I, just, uh, I was just feeling absolutely ill, and I just had these incredible headaches. Um, so I don't actually know. Was it you, Ephraim, or someone else that said their tongue was going numb? I cracked up about that at the hospital a couple of days later because I was like, how did one of my kids think his, numb, his tongue was going numb? I'm, I've, just, I've just been suffering from Bell's palsy. So if you know what that is, it's a, um, it's a nerve in your brain. Uh, sorry, it's a nerve in your head that swells up, and uh, you've got like these fibers on each side of your face, and uh, basically it just cuts off all uh, signals to the side of your face. Uh, and so most people, when, they, when they're... Uh, in, the, in the first sort of uh, couple of hours of, of developing it, they feel like they're having a stroke. And so um, it, actually, it actually was very, very scary. Um, uh, my wife, I didn't know what was happening, and so my wife went out, she was doing something, and then again, within the space of about an hour and a half, my whole side of my face had drooped, and I couldn't close my eye, and I just rang, I just rang Alexis, and I just burst into tears. I went up to my room, and I just said, honey, you need to come back. You need to take me to hospital. I, I think I'm having a stroke or something's happening, you know? So she, she rushed back, <clears throat> And uh, they took me to hospital. And uh, anyway, long story short, Bell's palsy. Praise God, it wasn't you know a brain tumor. They they did CAT scans and CT scans and, and all sorts of things. And um, and uh, so I had to stay in hospital a couple of days. And, and uh, it took me uh, about two or three months to sort of really come right. Just a bit of a write off over summer. And uh, during that time, I had some dark days. You know, I had some really dark days. I didn't know. You know, you can you can uh, get well from Bell's palsy over a period of time. Uh, most people do. But there's uh, lots of people that don't, you know, and so even today I'm still, you know, this side of my face doesn't kind of work quite well and I'm kind of, you know, if I get tired I kind of slur my words and I can't quite eat, I can't quite drink things on this side, you know, otherwise it kind of dribbles out a wee bit. Um, and so, uh, but again, to look out I'm probably doing okay, but just to let you know, I had some dark days, you know, I had some dark times, but never did I feel like giving up. You know, a couple of people came and visited me and just said, you know, like, how's your faith and where's God for you at this time? And I said, you know what? Uh, and and I, would never, I would never typically do this. Like, what you see is what you get. I just, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve. And, you know, and no word of a lie, my response was, you know what? God feels very close at the moment. God feels very close at the moment. And it wasn't, yes, it was a miraculous supernatural thing, God feeling close. But also I made a conscious decision and a conscious effort to press into God. I made a conscious effort to take my disappointment and my fear and my pain to God. That's what he wants us to do, guys. That's what he wants us to do. He's a faithful God. And look, even if I don't come 100% right, uh, God is faithful. And, and, and who knows? I've learned a lot of lessons. And this, is, this story isn't about that. So again, maybe if I get invited back, I'll, I'll tell you some of the lessons and some of the, some of the growing that I, that I did through that time. But praise God. So, um, you know, the point is this, guys, is that let us be a people that would never forget the hope we have because God can be trusted. The thing that unites us all is our faith in Jesus. Even when we are discouraged, even when we're disappointed, even when we're confused, let us turn to him 
and not away from him. Let us run towards him and not away from him with our pain and our disappointment and our fear. Verse 24 says this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. Let us consider, another version says. Let us ponder. Let us take time out. Let us take time to reflect about the people around us, the people that we engage with, this church family, this church community. Let us take time to reflect on ways that we can act in love and to do good works. So again, we have to take time out to do it. We, so often we live our lives just rushing through life, but this is actually saying, let us think of ways to motivate one another. Let us think, let us ponder. Do you, I wanna ask you the question today. Do you, do you think of ways that you can act in love towards your friends and family? Do you, do, you know, do you think of ways that you can actually respond in love? Do you, do you actually take time out of your days and your weeks to reflect on your circle and the people around you, the people you interact with, that you would actually act in deliberate ways of love? I'm not talking about being kind and just nice and just a good person. I'm talking about do you actually consider ways that you can motivate one another in love? You know, the early Christian community, that's what, that, that, that's what they were doing. You know, you read the book of Acts and, and mate, that's, you know, that's, a, that's a revolutionary way of doing life. It's a revolutionary church. And this is what the church is supposed to be like. You know, do you have a group of friends around you that do that to you as well? Another version of the Bible doesn't say let's motivate one another. You know what another version of the Bible says? Let us spur each other on. Let us spur each other on to do good works. And do you know the Greek word for spur? Do you know what it means? means to irritate one another. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, you irritate me. <laughs> Come on, do it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you irritate me. There's a few husbands and wives nudging each other here, saying, I've been waiting for this opportunity all morning to say that to you. Okay, that's enough. The word irritate here is not the word that we understand as irritate. The word irritate that we understand is like, you're annoying me, you're, you're getting on my work, like, you know, I'm, I want to punch you in the throat kind of thing, right? You know, that's, that, that's, that's, what we, that's what we think of it. The word irritate here in Greek actually means to have difficult conversations. It actually means to challenge and to confront in love. <clears throat> to challenge and confront in love. Now, doesn't that put a different spin on things when we're actually saying now, hey, to, to motivate one another in love actually means to challenge and confront each other in love. When you look at people, do you see the gold in them? When you look at people, do you see how God has created them? And do you say, you know what? I believe there's more for you. I believe God has more for you. When you look at people and they're, and they're maybe doing things that are unhelpful in their lives, do you get alongside them and say, hey, you know what? That thing that you're doing... I don't know if that's helpful for you or your wife or your family or the people that you're interacting with. And coming in a posture of love, coming in a posture where you actually want the outcome to be good and you want the outcome to be, to be, to be um, whole and, and, and your desire for them is to be a better person. This is what it means to confront one another. This is what it means to uh, grow in love and to motivate one another in acts of love. Have you got people like this in your lives? See, it's one thing to say, yeah, it's one thing to be challenged about it and go, oh, yeah, no, I'm not good at that and I need to be better at it. But it's a two-way street. Have you got people like that in your lives as well? 
Or are you maybe a little bit too prickly to receive that kind of love? Are you maybe a bit too prickly to, to be in relationships with people where they can spur you on to great love? Because again, I, I, to be honest, guys, I, I, don't, I don't think we're very good at this in our culture. I don't think we're very good as Kiwis to actually, we love to pretend that everything's okay. We love to not uh, uh, burden people. We love to not really kind of be transparent and share how we're feeling and to be vulnerable. It's not something that humans generally like to do, but I think even in Kiwi culture, we're, we're, just, we're just not very good at it. Do you have people that come alongside you and challenge you? Say, hey, you know what? I don't know, I'm just making stuff up here now, but you know when we're together, you know, and you do that thing, like have you noticed that you do that? And I just don't think that's, that's helpful for, for this environment. I just don't think that's helpful for you. It, it could be anything. Do you have people in your life that do that? Or are you just going along your merry way, going, no, this is who I am. I've always been like this. This is how God created me to be. And, you know, if people don't like it, well, they can lump it. I, I don't know if we're very good at this. I don't know if we're very good at this in our own families. I don't know if we're very good at this in our own marriages. Husbands and wives, you know? Is there the love, is there the, is there the trust and the credit in the bank for you as a wife or a husband to actually say things to your husband or your wife without it being World War III, without there being like this big snapback, without there being this like, like you know, you know what I'm talking about, guys, you know? Or can you actually with love with the goodness and with all great intent, look at, look at your spouse in, in their eye and actually say, hey, honey, there's this, been this thing that's been going on for the last 25 years that you do that. Annoy the heck out of me! <laughs> now, I'm not talking about little things. I'm not talking about leaving the, the cap off the toothpaste or you know, not changing a toilet roll or uh, any of the other things that I do that annoy my wife. But um, I'm not talking about those silly little things. That's just, you know, that's just part of life. I'm talking about much bigger things that we sweep under the carpet. You know what I'm talking about. You know, if it wasn't for good people in our lives, uh, Alexis and I wouldn't be where, we're, where, we, where we are today. If it wasn't for people spurring us on in the early years of our marriage when things were crazy, we had a very tumultuous, very crazy first few years of our marriage. If it wasn't for people getting alongside of us and encouraging us and believing in us and saying, look, you guys, there's more for you. We, we probably wouldn't be married today. We, it, it, it was a disaster in, in lots of ways. But we had good people that came alongside us and challenged us and confronted us and loved us, showed us how to be parents, showed us how to be a husband and wife, showed us how to be leaders, showed us how to, how to grow in faith, showed us how to... It's what we need. It's what we need. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. You know, brothers need brothers, sisters need sisters. There is no such thing as lone ranger Christians. Like I said before, you know, it's not just Jimmy Jesus and on his own in his prayer closet, you know, like just knowing that he's got his ticket to heaven. It's not about that. We need each other. Salvation isn't just this personal matter. You know, when God saved us, yes, a transaction took place. You know, something happened in our, in our souls. Something, something happened in our spirits. The Bible says that the spirit of the living God comes and dwells in each and every one of us. But it's more than that. Just like when we get born into a physical family, what happens is when we get saved, we get born into a spiritual family. That spiritual family is called the church. The spiritual family is us. The spiritual family is this group of people here. And so you can't have one without the other. You can't have personal salvation and not have the church. They go together. 
And you know, church, church is powerful. I know there's probably, just like when we planted our church four months ago, uh, there's probably a whole bunch of people here over the last few years that have uh, decided to uh, take another step of faith, take another risk step and go, you know what? We're going to try out Coast Vineyard. For whatever reason, maybe it didn't work out at your last church. For whatever reason, maybe you had been distant from church for a long time. Maybe this is where you've found Jesus. This is where you got saved. But this place has the power to transform lives. What I mean, this place, not this, not Oriwa College, but the, the, the church, Coast Vineyard. It has the power to transform lives. It is transforming lives. The reason you've had to come to this hall is because it's transforming lives and the old place wasn't big enough and good enough anymore. So you need to, you need to upgrade. You need to get a, because these guys here have got a vision because they believe that Coast Vineyard has got the power to transform lives through Jesus. It's not just Coast Vineyard and Matt and these guys. It's, but yes, but, but Coast Vineyard has got the power to transform lives. The local church can transform communities and cities and nations. That's God's plan. You've heard it preached before. There's no plan B. So if there's no plan B, it's up to us to actually engage in it. It's up to us to actually be par- participate in it. It's actually us to actually have that revelation like, yeah, I'm part of something much bigger. I'm part of something much bigger than just my personal salvation with God. Wouldn't it be awesome to see Coast Vineyard transform the Hibiscus Coast? Wouldn't it be awesome to see Coast Vineyard be so influential in Hibiscus Coast that, that people go, wow, without Coast Vineyard, this place would be different. Without Coast Vineyard, uh, th- this place feels dead. We gotta, do you guys believe that? Come on, we're not at the Golf Classic, guys. Like, do you guys believe that? You got, I know we're not trying to be a Pentecostal church, but you can actually, like, you can tell your face you're happy. Like, are we, you know, like, do you believe that? Yeah. yeah. That's, these, guys aren't, these guys aren't mucking around, and I know a lot of you aren't mucking around. Why would you be here if you're just mucking around? Like, don't you want to be part of something that is significantly influential and impacting and changing people's lives? That's what the church is. That's what the local church is. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach in a minute, guys. This is, um, you know, let, let me just read out some, let me just read out some, uh, some verses here. Because I think without understanding these, but without, without getting a kind of a big picture snapshot of what the church is supposed to be like, we can sometimes just, play it safe. We can sometimes just roll in and roll out. Let me just read a couple of these. This is what it means to be the church. This is why the church is so dynamic. This is why the church, let me just read them. Romans 12, 10 says this, we are to be devoted to one another and to give preference to one another. Romans 16 says we are to accept one another. 1 Corinthians 12 says we're to tell each, we're to care for one another. Galatians 6 commands us to bear each other's burdens. Thessalonians encourages us to build one another up. James 5 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. 1 Peter 4 says to serve one another. 1 John 4 says to love one another. Proverbs 27 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And four times in the New Testament, it says, greet your brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. Turn to the, no. Uh, (laughs) That one we might leave out. But again, you know why it's there, eh? Like, again, in a lot of Middle Eastern countries, when there's, a whole, when there's a kiss that takes place, what does it signify? It signifies intimacy. It signifies closeness. It signifies, that's why we, that's why we hug each other, people that we like. And sometimes we do those awkward hugs when we know that they don't like it or when we don't like them, maybe. But, 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 it, but it, it signifies intimacy. All those verses, what, are they, what is it meaning there? 
It means, guys, in order for us to be the church, and again, I'm preaching to myself here, you know, as one man sharp, as iron sharpens another, so one man sharpens another. That's what that verse earlier was talking about, spurring each other on. Do you do that for other believers? Do you do that for your church community? And do people do that to you? Do you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another? Do you encourage one another? Do you care for one another? Do we accept each other? Are we devoted to one another? These are such powerful, strong words. Let us think of ways to motivate one another, to acts of love. And then this is the next part, and good works. And good works. And we know elsewhere it says faith without works is dead. And so again, what does it look like to practically meet each other's needs? What does it mean to watch out for each other? You see, the reason why the early church was so dynamic, the reason why people looked on and they were like, what the heck is going on? is because, again, it was so crazy at the time. And what does is, what is the Hibiscus Coast need at the moment? The Hibiscus Coast needs a church that would, that would speak to everyone around them and go, you know what? Look what these guys are doing. When there's needs in our community, do you know who the first person to respond is? The local Christian down the road. And wow, wouldn't it be amazing if that local Christian down the road went to Hibiscus Coast? When there's a neighbor in need, when there's someone in need, when there's a, a mum who's had a, had a baby, when there's someone sick, when there's, when there's issues going on at a school, the first people to respond are the Christians just down the road, are the Christians just in the community. And what if those Christians belong to the Hibiscus Coast? I, I, sorry, belong to the Coast Vineyard. I can't talk for all the other churches because this is, this is our family. This is our church. So, so we have to kind of contextualize it. Spur each other on with acts of love and good works. Interesting that it differentiates it here, eh? Acts of, you could say acts of love are good works, and you could include that in there. Uh-uh. The writer's like, no, no, spur each other on with acts of love. Irritate each other in a good way. And, acts of lo- and, uh, and good works. Tony Campolo tells the story um, of when he was traveling to Hawaii one day, and um, he was speaking at a conference, and uh, he was jet-lagged, and he was hungry one night. And 2.30 in the morning, he uh, can't sleep, he's hungry. He walks down to this dirty diner, and uh, he just sits down, orders some food. And behind him in another booth are these two ladies talking, and they turn out to be prostitutes. And one of the ladies' names is Agnes. And Agnes is talking to her friend, and uh, her friend says to Agnes, Agnes, isn't it your birthday tomorrow? And Agnes goes, yeah, it is. And she says, well, what are you going to do? She said, oh, just it's another birthday. She said, I can't remember the last time I celebrated my birthday. Haven't done anything for my birthday in years. And Tony Campolo walks up to the bar manager about 20 minutes later. And he says, hey, those two girls that were behind my booth, do you know them? He says, yeah, I know them really well. They, they're here every night. He said, well, uh, I heard one of their names is Agnes. And uh, her friend asked her, and she, she, she said it was her birthday tomorrow. And she, he said, how would you feel he said, I'm in town for a couple of days. I don't know them from Bar Soap. He said, how would you feel if we put on a birthday party for Agnes tomorrow night at the same time? And he said, well, yeah, yeah, I guess we could. If, if you pay for everything and stuff, you know, like they're here every night, you know, they, they, they turn up at the same time every night. He said, well, that's what we're going to do. He said, I'm going to come back tomorrow night at 2.30 in the morning. I'm going to bring some balloons. I'm going to bring some streamers. I'm going to bring a big cake, and we're going to put on a birthday party for Agnes. How does that sound? He he was puzzled, and he was like, sure, uh, yep, okay, let's do that. 
Tony Campolo says, do you know any of Agnes's friends? He said, well, they're all, they're all her friends, all these people in here, all the, all the, all the pimps and the, and the drug addicts and the, uh, and the prostitutes, they come here every night to, to, to get a feed and just to have a break from, from what they're doing. He said, well, how would you feel about telling everyone and getting the word out? It's got to be a secret, though, and getting them all to come at 2.30 tomorrow and, or coming, getting them to come at like 1.30 tomorrow so we can actually set the place up and tell them what it's about. He said, sure, I'll do that. Sure as eggs, the next night, 1 o'clock, 2.30, or 2 o'clock comes along, Tony Campolo walks into this diner, he brings, a, he brings a cake, he brings all these streamers, the place is packed, he says, now guys, Agnes and her friend are going to be here in about half an hour, we're just going to quickly decorate this place, and uh, we're just going to put on a birthday for Agnes, how does that sound? And they're all like, yeah, yeah, this is awesome, yeah, let's do that. 2.30 or 3 o'clock comes along, Agnes walks in with her friend, and straight away they're all like, party poppers, and woohoo, congratulations, Agnes, like, wow, this is awesome, Agnes just breaks down absolutely breaks down. She drops to her knees and she just starts sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. She said, oh man, no one's ever done this for me. I can't remember the last time I celebrated. This is like, she's just, she's just an absolute mess. So the place goes quiet. Tony Campolo sort of gathers himself and just kind of, they just allow her just some time. And then he says, okay, well, we're going to cut the cake, Agnes. You know, we, and he's just about to cut the cake and Agnes starts freaking out. Agnes is like, no, 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 please don't cut the cake. I know the cake's for me, and I know the cake's for us, and you probably want to eat the cake, but, but, I, but it's my birthday, and it's my cake, and, and can I just take my cake home? And, and I live five minutes around the road. Could I just take the cake home? I don't want everyone to have the cake, and sorry to be, sorry to be offensive, and I, I just, but this is the first cake I've had. I just, can I just take the cake home? And everyone's like freaking out, and so Tony Campola takes the knife out, and he's like, yeah, you can take your cake home, Agnes. Take it, you know, take your cake. She's like, I'll be back in five minutes. Just seriously, just wait here. I still want to celebrate with you guys. Sorry to be rude, but I just got to take my cake home. She takes her cake home. It's awkward now. There's, the birthday girl's gone. Tony Campola's in this, in this diner at 2.30 in the morning with a bunch of prostitutes and drug addicts and pimps. What do you do? He says, hey, guys. He said, I don't know if you know, but I don't know. I don't know Agnes. I just, I, just, I just overheard Agnes saying last night. And How about while Agnes is gone, we just pray for Agnes. He said, I'm a, I'm a pastor and I'm a preacher and I'm here for something, but how about we just pray for Agnes? I don't want to freak her out anymore, but let's just pray. Let's pray for Agnes. So they all bowed their heads, and he just prayed a prayer that Agnes would uh, have a great birthday, that this would change her life forever, that, that possibly she may encounter Jesus and she may one day give her heart to Jesus, but but ultimately this would just be a wonderful act of love that she would receive and, and she'd remember forever. And they did that and Agnes walks back in and they party and they celebrate and, and it's, it's amazing. As, uh, as Tony's about to leave, the bar owner, the bar manager calls him over and he says, hey, um, I didn't know you were a Christian. I didn't know you were a pastor or a preacher or anything like that. You know, you could have told me that to begin with. And uh, Tony was like, well, you know, I just, I just left that out. I just wanted to do something, you know. He says, tell me, what kind of preacher like you what kind of church does a preacher like you go to? And Tony says, one that puts on birthday parties for prostitutes at 2.30 in the morning. Yeah, and the bar manager says, no, you don't. He says, you don't go to a church like that. If you went to a church like that, I'd know about it. And secondly, if you went to a church like that, I'd go to it. And I tell that story. Yes, it's a powerful story. Yes, that night might not be your reality here on the coast. That might not be your reality. Like There might not be those opportunities to maybe do that. But I tell that story because it packs a punch. I tell that story because it's supposed to wake us up and say, you know what? When the Bible talks about doing good works, it's not just taking one little meal on a meal train for someone. Yes, that's doing our part. But is that stretching us? Is that growing us? Or are we just ticking a box? 
Tony Campola went out of his way to put on a birthday party for a prostitute that he had never known. And I bet you that lady's life was changed that night. We don't know the fallout from that. We don't know what took place after that. But that's a powerful story. This is what the Bible means for us to motivate each other in in ways of love and good works. So the point is this, guys. Let us be a people. Let Coast Vineyard be a people that would motivate, that would spur one another on to acts of love. Let Coast Vineyard be a people that would call out the gold in others. Let Coast Vineyard be a people that would look at each other and see them the way that God sees them, a son, a daughter. That we would love each other and have some difficult and courageous conversations. Let's be a people that would spur each other on with great love and to do good works. That we would be a people that would reach the people of this world with love, good deeds and to the people that society has forgotten, the outcasts, the downtrodden, the widows, the orphans. Let us be a people like that. And the last verse is this, we're running out of time. Let us not neglect meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let us not neglect meeting together. You know this uh, meeting together word? It's actually a word that's called uh, episynagogue. And the, it's the Greek word, it's where we get the word synagogue from. But what it actually means is it actually means a congregation. The word episynagogue actually means the word congregation. Now, you might think that this is a congregation, and I don't know Coast Vineyard, so this could be very well a a congregation. But it also might not be a congregation. You see, at uh, at West Campus, where where we've just planted four months ago, we've got a couple hundred people turning up on a Sunday, but that's not a congregation. Do you know why it's not a congregation? It's because we're in the early stages of forming a church and everyone is new. We're in the early stages of forming a church and our lives aren't interconnecting yet. We're literally just going, we're literally just turning up on Sundays and we've got a few little things happening and we're running these house parties, getting to know each other. but, But we're not a congregation because what a congregation means is that your lives are supposed to intersect with each other. Your lives are supposed to be intertwined. What happens Monday to Saturday determines whether or not you're a congregation. There's a big difference between a congregation and an aggregation. An aggregation of people is a bunch of people that turn up to an event, a bunch of people that turn up for something, but their lives never interconnect. An aggregation can be like an AGM. An aggregation can be like a concert. If you turn up to a concert, that's not a congregation of people, that's an aggregation. They've all met there to watch the concert, and after, they go, and after the concert's finished, they all go home. They never see each other again. Unfortunately, there's some churches like that, churches that are just aggregations. They're just a bunch of people. Like a, Think of a picture of like a, a bunch of marbles in a bag. They're just rattling around. But now think of a picture of, like, of, of a bunch of grapes. They're all connected. Their lives are intertwined. They're meeting with one another in their homes. They're praying for one another. They are doing life together. And this is what this word episynagogue means. So again, I'll ask you the question. I'll ask Matt the question. You know, like, are you guys a congregation? That's awesome. That's awesome. There'll be some people here that probably don't feel like you're a congregation. Guarantee it. Maybe even some of the long-termers, you might not feel like this is a congregation. 
But can I encourage you? A congregation requires movement. A congregation requires a bunch of people to be activated. A congregation requires people's lives to be intersecting and to be overlapping and for people to be rubbing up against each other throughout the week and for there, be, for there to be hopes and dreams and visions that are being outworked in people's lives Monday to Saturday. We don't want to be just an aggregation of people that turn up on a Sunday and tick that box and go home again. So it's this word uh, that reflects this, this kind of notion of one another. The word means mutuality. And according to the New Testament church, it's not just about being taught or fed. It's about each other teaching and feeding each other. You see, if we just turn up on a Sunday, yep, Matt or a few people or me or someone's going someone's gonna to preach, someone's going to lead worship, you're all going to turn up here. But our Christian lives, our faith was never supposed to be outworked on a Sunday in an hour and a half. The one and a half hour event on a Sunday was always supposed to be a celebration. It was always supposed to be a thing that encourages one another. And we leave here like with a shot in the arm going, wow, that's awesome. I'm so stoked to be part of this congregation. I'm so stoked to be part of this family of God. But then where our faith is supposed to be outworked, where we're supposed, where our lives are where we're supposed to become like Jesus, where, where, where the sanctification takes place, happens Monday to Saturday. In our homes, in our workplaces, in bars, in cafes, in restaurants, with groups of people, in small groups, in home groups, in life groups, in groups that are meeting here, in groups that are meeting there. That's where our faith grows. That's where we're supposed to outlive our faith. And I just want to encourage you this morning. This community can be a place where people can be themselves and just come as they are. This community here at Coast Vineyard can be and hopefully is a place that encourages deep conversations. This place here at Coast Vineyard can hopefully be a place where people are vulnerable. This place here at Coast Vineyard can hopefully be a place where people are known, where people can have fun, where there's laughter and joy, where people can speak life and hope into you. And this place can be a place where you can grow as a disciple of Jesus so that you may reach your community and your neighbors and wherever your sphere of influence is, those people for Jesus.